Hello, and welcome to Creston Global's The International Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Hannah, your host, and today we're back with two new incredible guests to continue our discussions around the entrepreneurial mindset. And today we're staying right here at home, for me anyway, in the currently cold, rainy UK. If you've just joined us as a new listener, I'd recommend listening to episode one, part one, for some general housekeeping on how this podcast works. But in short, we'll be speaking with our new guests for two mini episodes, if you will. Our discussions will be split over a part one and part two, part two being released next week, to keep these sessions easily digestible for busy listeners. Anyway, let's get to it. I'm thrilled to have our episode three entrepreneurs here today, representing the UK arm of Creston Global. Would you like to both introduce yourselves? Mark, after you. (laughs) Thank you, Jack. Hi, my name is Mark Taylor. I'm a tax director at Creston Duncan and Topless in the UK, and I'm also the chair of the Creston Global Tax Group. Hi, my name is Jack Clipsham. I head up the corporate finance team for Creston Reeves, one of the other Creston member firms in the UK, and I also chair the Creston Global Corporate Finance Group in a similar role to Mark for the tax group. And for a little bit of background, Creston Global is an international accountancy network that brings the best minds in business accountancy together. I think a great place to start would be to hear how you got into accountancy in the first place as a career and what inspired you to become an accounting entrepreneur in your own right. I'll jump in on that, Mark, if you like. Um, So if how I got into accountancy, uh, it goes all the way back to my father, unfortunately. So my father was a banker and his father before him. And uh, as all dads do, they suggested that I follow in their footsteps, which I couldn't think of anything worse, to be honest. Um, his then He then guided me, shall we say, towards accountancy on the basis that at least if I got qualified in something, I had something to fall back on and I could then choose to do whatever it was that I wanted to do for, for real. Um, I did. I qualified with Ernst & Young and then jumped straight into investment banking. Uh, through the corporate finance route um, and then came back into the profession and have been with Creston Reeves as a partner and head of corporate finance here now for just over four years. So I started out because based on a parent as well so my mum was the company accountant for a fishing gear company and my parents said to me well you know why don't you try and qualify to be an accountant so started work doing my studying in my own time and uh, sort of qualified as a chartered certified accountant in a three-partner firm locally and then moved to PwC and I was a corporate tax manager for them and qualified as a chartered tax advisor during my time with PwC and then all the way back in 2004, I joined Duncan and & Topless and 
progress within that firm to my current role. And as is customary on this podcast, we're going to ask a quick icebreaker question to get you warmed up and to give the listeners an idea about you as a person, if you don't mind humouring us. If you could have dinner with anyone in the world, past or present, who would it be and why? So if I could have dinner with anyone in the world, alive or dead, it would be my father. So my father died in 2000, well, 1991 rather, sorry, when I was uh, 19 years old. And um, obviously had quite a bit of time with him growing up. Um, but it would be lovely to be able to have dinner with him and speak with him about his life and uh, have, a, have a chance to uh, catch up. So that's my answer, which might sound a little bit funny, but it's it's true. I think that's a lovely, lovely thought. It's, uh, I'd love to be able to do that with both my father and my mother if I could. But uh, my choice for, for a dinner guest actually would be Douglas Bader. Um, and the reason for that is that I have an insatiable interest in the stories behind the men who flew the aircraft in, in World War II, mainly because my uncle flew B-25 Mitchell bombers, flew 51 operations with them, and also my grandfather worked with Beaverbrook during the war on the production of Spitfires. So that's where the interest comes from. But I also love talking to people who have fought through adversity to become leaders or champions in their own time. Um, plus, from what I've read about Douglas Bader, uh, he enjoyed a party, so I'm sure he'd be an excellent dinner guest. <laughs> so, on to the Creston Global Entrepreneur Report, which is the reason why we're all together today in the first place. What was the most surprising finding showcased by the research for you, and why did it stand out to you in particular? So, looking at the Entrepreneur Mindset white paper, I think the thing that I found most surprising about the report was the differences between entrepreneurs in different geographical locations. The report showed quite clearly that those from China and India were the most advanced in expanding overseas, with very high numbers of respondents in those regions saying that entrepreneurship is a is the norm which does show a stark contrast to the view from other territories surveyed and while the prime motivation for entrepreneurs is usually to access larger markets the white paper does show that several other factors come into play for example particularly in China where accessing larger markets is not given such a strong and distinct prominence by entrepreneurs in that country. I think the uh, the survey itself has brought out a, a number of very interesting key key points. The, the, the bits that surprised me about that report, I'm afraid I, I haven't got one particular one, I've probably got five uh, that I'd just like to touch on. And, and picking up on what Mark was saying, particularly about China and India, and, and I speak from having lived and worked in Hong Kong and, and Asia Pacific for four years. Um, and the thing that, that I did notice about that is, is that it's China and India in particular that seem to have this entrepreneurial spirit, perhaps more than other companies. But I would just lead with a question as to what extent is that being promoted because of government support and government persuasion uh, and, and, and support is probably the best word for those companies to, to look to go overseas. 
Um, I think one of the questions that does come out as well is is around sort of the, the funding, local support, local tax, business culture. These are all key issues that, that are obvious concerns, probably from Mark and my point of view. What surprised me more was that people don't seem to understand that, that certainly in, in most countries that we work in, that support does exist. Finding it is another, is another issue. And I think that's one of the big things to come out of this report. More has to be done by the local governments and, and the local organizations in, in different regions and different countries to make sure that those entrepreneurs know that that information is available. It, it's not enough just for the governments in, in China and India to promote um, uh, expansion overseas. Entrepreneurs generally and in other countries need to know that the support is there and how do they find that. And that, that to me is key to come out of this. Three other quick ones. Uh, gender is, is a big issue for me, um, and, and gender equality and diversity is, is a big thing for, for everyone at Creston. Um, and I was surprised, actually, that that seems within this survey to be pretty equal, um, and particularly surprising in that, I think in my perception anyway, in the business world, the business environment, it still seems to be more male-oriented than maybe female-oriented. So I was really pleased to see that this survey is showing that that diversity and equality is, is pretty much equal. Um, two other quick things. One is, is personal net networks and, and the emphasis on personal networks as a reason to go abroad. And I question how those come around. So is it because those companies, those entrepreneurs are being encouraged by their local governments to, to perhaps go overseas and providing networks and network facilities? Is it because those entrepreneurs perhaps have been through any MBA, for example, that have very, very strong networks of other candidates that they then start working with on a, an international basis. I'm, I'm really interested to understand why personal networks is such a driver um, for entrepreneurship. Um, and I suppose lastly, it, it seems to be saying that entrepreneurs err towards caution and deliberate decision making. And, and speaking from my own experience, I think the people that, that I get exposed to who are would be classified maybe as entrepreneurs, actually, they, they, similar, they have the similar sort of risk-taking and drive that we see a lot in entrepreneurs. Um, that's from my own personal experience, and, and other people may differ on that. But it, again, that was interesting to see coming out of that survey. And I think as well, Jack, just to add to that, you, you refer to personal networks and knowing what government support is available in, in various countries, which I totally agree with, and that's pretty high on the agenda for entrepreneurs. And, but I also think that's somewhere where the Creston Global Network can really help these individuals and their businesses because we have those local personal networks that we can leverage, and our local Creston members on the ground, as it were, in these countries, would have access to the information about well, what support is available, um, you know, what incentives can they claim, where are the best places to set up in business, etc. So I do think that's an area that it's almost reassuring that the survey has come out with those as being key areas, because for me, that's, that's what we can add for entrepreneurs yeah. primarily. 100% I'd agree with that entirely and, and I think what it does demonstrate to us within Creston Global but, but other organisations as well whether there are other 
um, professional firms or their government organisations, I, I think it does show that we need to communicate better um, what is actually available, what are the systems, what is the advice, what's the support that is actually available already. Yeah. Um, and it's only by getting that message out to the entrepreneurs that they, they then know where to go to. They, they know they need that help and they're looking for it, but they don't know where to find it necessarily. So yeah. I would agree that that's really key. I agree. I think that's a key takeaway from this white paper. Absolutely. And the inverse of the previous question now. What did you find least surprising, if anything? So the, the least surprising uh, items that came out of the white paper and the report for, for me personally um, probably surround the, the going international to expand the market um, and also the supply chain, both the negatives and the positive side of things. Um, because of the role that we have and, and uh, the role within Creston Global, we see a lot of cross-border work and, and um, between in, in, inter-companies and international work that's going on. So we see a lot of examples of clients that are already going into other parts of the world for um, their supply chain. So I have a, a client at the moment that, that actually has, they redistribute steel and alloy wheels, very specific within the, the motor market within the UK and Europe, but they actually get them manufactured both in China and Malaysia. So the manufacturing goes on overseas. They have all the logistics and issues that will come onto a supply chain to bring them back into the UK, and then they distribute them again into Europe. So that works really well for them. Um, another example of an inbound uh, client is, is a company that we recently floated on Aqueous, uh, the regulated market here just outside of London Stock Exchange. Um, it's a company called Majestic that is a specialist in... Um, Specialist metals, um, so they, they take uh, mobile phones, catalytic converters, uh, printed circuit boards, and they go around the world, literally, they globally, they go to, to source that material, and they then take that material back to refineries in Japan, where they then process it. So again, it, it, it's a very um, uh, global market that they're dealing with. So. It doesn't surprise me at all that, that global markets come out and expanding markets come out as, as a main uh, purpose for going international. And the supply chain, again, positively, but also the negatives. It com comes out as a negative in, in the report as well. Um, and that's inevitable, I think, at the moment with, with everything that's going on globally in terms of the logistics and, and containers, not being enough of them, being in the wrong place in the world at the wrong time, uh, being at product supplies. So we, we've all heard of semiconductors and, and I, that hit home, literally home with me only a week or so ago when a particular um, sensor in, in my car bust it went broke and we were told it was going to be a month before they could find a, the, the the switch with the semiconductor because they just weren't available um, and that's as a personal and a personal point from a business point of view this is huge so those sort of things don't surprise me at all um, the final one for me was around uh, younger people being more prepared to take risks and, and, and I think that's probably just a fact of life um, as, as we all get older, speaking personally again, I think we, we learn from some of the issues that we may have had in the past. We're a bit more defensive about making maybe mistakes or taking risks that, that might come back to bite us. So I think we inevitably get a little bit more cautious as we get older. Um, I think the younger people are, they, they, they don't have that caution in the same way. Um, I think it's right that they deliberate and they look at things very seriously and at length, but actually they're probably more prepared to take that risk than we might do later in life. 
So yes, I I do agree, Jack. And you know, the least surprising things for me were, you know, pretty much exactly as you've said. The, you know, the world has just become such a global place, and doing business overseas, I think, for the younger generation, doesn't have the same sort of scare factor as it may have done years ago. And you know, because of being online now, the world being online, it's far easier to make those connections overseas. I think the age bracket, therefore, for entrepreneurs is, is quite unsurprising. You know, those people in the sort of 30 to 40, 40 to 50 age group are the most likely people to be looking at doing business internationally. I have a client here, for example, who is currently selling his company in the UK wants to move to Palm Beach in Florida which is not a bad place to live uh, he's built this business over the last 10 years or so and he's selling for about 12 million pounds um, I was surprised to find out that he's actually still only 33 years old but it's just an example of you know what these young people are doing um, I have another, I have a client in Bali, for example, he lives in Bali, very close to the beach, he's an IT consultant, he has a good internet connection, he doesn't need to be anywhere in particular in the world, so, you know, living close to a beach in Bali is uh, quite a nice place to live, and, you know, the way the world has changed over the last 10 years, and probably more particularly over the last two or three years with COVID, everything has moved a lot of things have moved online doing business internationally is you know very easy people don't have the same problems with connecting with people overseas so for me that was the least surprising was how international people are now thinking particularly that younger generation looking more to your own business territory what do you think the uk does to support entrepreneurs is that reflected in the research, do you think? And do the UK-specific findings align with your own personal experiences? And in terms of our experience of clients in our country, so in the UK, many of our clients are looking to expand overseas in all manner of different markets. And many of those entrepreneurs are in the younger age bracket surveyed. I think those people are likely to have a more global view of business and as I've said can operate anywhere in the world with today's technology so the survey results definitely agree with our experience of our client base at the moment. I'd agree. The um, In terms of the exposure, I think it's going to change. You can talk to 10 different people and probably have slightly different perceptions on just depending on which market that they are dealing with personally. But, but similar to Mark, we're seeing um, an awful lot of, of uh, actually inbound work as well. Um, and they tend to be still, I would say, the, the younger mid-end of the range age-wise. Um, I think that may be partly because of, of just the sort of deals and transactions that we're looking at at the moment, but we have got 
overseas companies from America looking to uh, acquire UK companies. We have got people from Asia again looking to come in and acquire both uh, UK and European. And, and I'm actually working with our Creston Turkey member firm at the moment on a, a major chemical company that is similarly looking for acquisitions over here in the UK, so to develop their markets further. So we are seeing a lot of cross-border work. Um, the other thing which I'm, I'm exposed to at the moment is, is the DIT here in the UK run a, um, a global entrepreneurs program. It's called entrepreneurs run entrepreneurs, but entrepreneurs, but it's, it's a very similar set where they are actively going into other countries and identifying and, and effectively vetting companies that are looking to grow and expand overseas to, to attract them into the UK and to attract them here by showing them what support, both financial and, and, and other support, advisory support, they can get by coming here into the UK. And, and we're seeing some fantastic opportunities there. There's, there's one uh, where there's a company which has uh, had an operation in Singapore um, and their product is to digitize hard, hard copies of legal documents to make legal compliance, regulatory compliance that much easier for companies. And they're in the process of, of transferring their business out of Singapore back into the UK, rather than back into the UK, so that they can then take advantage of the support that's here to further develop that business. So that, that's a really good example of that. I agree. And what you find when you work on international clients is not all countries are as developed as others in terms of those business links the support that the government can provide. So, you know, for example, I was in Dubai recently and met with the UK Department for International Trade in Dubai. So the UK has people on the ground in these countries all around the world trying to drive inward investment into the UK. And I think what we need to do is get some of these other countries a little bit more advanced in you know, the, the efforts that their governments are able to make to 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 show what's what the incentives are for maybe some of the countries from the, the larger or more developed economies to come and invest into their countries. And I know that's an area that a lot of countries obviously focus on uh, to drive that inward investment. I think that's a good place to close off for today. But part two will be released next Wednesday where we carry on the discussion with Jack and Mark covering topics like the entrepreneurial mindset, key report takeaways, and how the business landscape has evolved over the years since they've both been in business. If you'd like to read the report that we've been discussing, then as always, you'll find the link in this podcast description. We really do think it's an invaluable resource for those looking to expand or move their business overseas. And join us all again next week to continue the conversation. See you soon. You won't want to miss it. <laughs>